When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anytime. Anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello and welcome to the Christmas Eve Eve edition of the Football Social Daily Podcast. Yes, the big day is getting closer and closer and depending on your priorities, you may only need to wait a matter of hours. If it's a big man in a red suit that you're waiting on, then it could be less than 48 hours. But if it's an under-pressure Argentinian with a bucket, then you might have to wait until Boxing Day to get your fill. The Premier League is all set to go ahead as planned on Boxing Day and our man Ant McGinley will be here on the 26th with a full review show alongside some fantastic festive shows across the next few days. But with the Premier League set to screech back into action on the 26th, on today's show we wrap up the small matter of the Carabao Cup semi-finals. Arsenal secured their place in the last four on Tuesday night. They'll now face Liverpool after a shootout win for the Reds against Leicester at Anfield last night. And joining them in the other semi-final, it'll be an all-Premier League affair in January as Chelsea edged out Brentford and Spurs beat West Ham. That's all to come in part one of the show. And then in part two, we'll be checking in on some pre-Christmas transfer gossip. Manchester City look almost certain to sell Ferran Torres to Barcelona. Aubameyang's Arsenal exile could become a bit more permanent. And Newcastle are eyeing another England star in their ambitious January plans. Right then, plenty to get through on today's podcast. My name's Fergal and joining me to savour the Christmas Carabao, we have our very own Marley Anderson. Marley, how's things? Good morning. Christmas isn't Christmas uh, or Christmas Eve Eve without a nice little taste of Carabao, which I'm convinced no one's actually bought a can of in history. Uh, I only know it off this competition. I've never ever seen anyone with a with a can <laughs> of Carabao. I was thinking with your Christmas dinner, I couldn't think of anything worse than to have with your Christmas dinner. You know, whether you're having a soft drink, whether you're having a wine, whether you're having a beer or whatever. Imagine a can of sugary Carabao with your turkey. That'd be dreadful. <laughs> 
<laughs> I might have to try it, and uh, I might just write off a Christmas just to just to try a Carabao. Truly, truly awful. Like your Christmas dinner would have to be terrible to be uh, to be washing it down with a Carabao. But whatever you have in your Christmas dinner, that is uh, that is your business on the twenty fifth. Alongside Marley, we also have the sports socials Joel Tudor. Joel, how are you doing? Yeah, good morning. I might um, switch out my mum's mulled wine for some Carabao and see what the reaction is. <laughs> I think the reaction from your mum would be similar to the reaction in your stomach. Both, uh, both pretty volatile to uh, to deal with on the twenty fifth. Uh, we're not we're not disadvising Carabao at Christmas. You know, maybe just not the most sensible thing to be sloshing around with turkey gravy and Brussels sprouts. But you know, it's Christmas. People do ridiculous things, uh, and if you want to go for it, just just go for it. Right. Let's look at the Carabao, but the Carabao Cup rather than the drink. Marley, three games last night, all. Premier League affairs. We now got a picture of how the last four is shaping up. Liverpool through to face Arsenal and Spurs against Chelsea. So we're going to start with Liverpool because this was the exciting one from last night. To steal a bit of a Premier League cliche, this was a fantastic advert for the Carabao Cup. Leicester 3-1 up at half-time and Liverpool battled and battled 3-all at full-time. And now in the new format, there's no extra time, straight to penalties and Liverpool edged it out. Brilliant stuff for the neutral to to nick another bit of a cliche. And this was, again, third cliche. I'm going to try and not do too many. This was a game of two halves uh, for both teams. Leicester were really, really good in the first 30 to 45 minutes. 3-1 up, some brilliant goals, particularly from uh, from James Madison to, to make it 3-1. But Klopp rolled in with the big guns, or certainly the medium guns at half-time. He brought a Milner, Jota and Canate, and they, they all made a massive difference. Looking through the rest of the game, each one of them had some sort of a role to play. And Liverpool obviously then eventually went on to nick it. So... Looking at the balance of the game, obviously Liverpool have got a lot of games coming, so have Leicester. You might say that Klopp got his starting eleven wrong, but as long as he's got these players in reserve to bring on at a point where the game is still savable, he made the right call. How did, how did you see this one? Yes, yeah, um, you know, as you mentioned, you know, if you've got these players on the bench, if you can bring, you know, Konate, Jota, Milner, and Naby Keita off the bench. You've always got that sort of uh, that backup option. Like Salah wasn't involved, but they still fielded Firmino and Minamino up front, who you know decent players. Oxley Chamberlain's obviously been around. Jota came off the bench for the second half, um, so there's plenty there for Liverpool. They were pretty poor in the first half, but you're looking at Liverpool's centre backs and well defence really, and thinking you know with respect, no one's really heard of Conor Bradley um, and Billy Cometio is like. 18, 19 or whatever he is and playing against Jamie Vardy and Pat and Daka who are both very, very, very quick um, and Liverpool, the way they play they do expose themselves on the counter-attack if you can get the ball and get up there quickly um, Klopp will have a go at you for for, for trying to play that way as, as he did with Spurs last weekend um, but that is the way to, to give Liverpool a bloody nose and, and Leicester did it in that first half and Madison's goal topped it off. It was absolutely brilliant goal, um, but it it just tended to give Liverpool that just annoy them a little bit, and then they're like, right, okay, and let's 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 try, let's start trying this one. Um, we'll bring on some of the big lads uh, off the bench, and you know, second half was pretty much theirs, and they ended up getting the goal right in the last minute, wasn't it? The ninety fifth minute with Minamino, um, and then as soon as they win that, you you always think as soon as as soon as the goal goes in that late, that team's gonna win the penalty shootout. Um, and that's what happened with uh, Kelleher making a, a good couple of saves in the uh, in the shootout, and uh, Liverpool going on and winning it. So um, much to 
to Klopp's annoyance because we all know he, he can't be asked with the Carabao Cup every year um, to the point where he even sent his uh, his um, his assistant last year, wasn't it? He, he sent sent his assistant for the Aston Villa game when he couldn't be bothered uh, going. But we'll see what he does this uh, this uh, this uh, January February whenever the semi final is because um, they're in the, the last four now and it's chance silverware. So you got to take what you can get. Looking at the picture going into a Carabao Cup game, Joel, it is a bit of a game of poker trying to guess what the other manager is going to do because <clears throat> we know for the big Premier League sides they are going to rest players but they'll they'll probably wheel in a few big guns from the start and Rodgers have been looking at Klopp and Klopp will be looking at Rodgers and thinking who's going to blink first, who's going to play the stronger team and kind of go for it and obviously then when the lineups drop uh, an hour before kickoff, they're, they're like the rest of us waiting on Twitter to see who's going to be starting and Leicester kind of went with the stronger hand to start with. You look at their starting eleven. strong majority of them would be starting in a Premier League game, which the two of them face each other uh, next week in the Premier League at the King Power, whereas Liverpool didn't. <clears throat> Obviously, they kept the likes of Milner and Keita and Jota and Canati in reserve to bring on. But do you think maybe that was where the game was won and lost? Rodgers maybe played his hand a bit too early by starting this team, looking to build up a lead and establish themselves in the game and hoping, which is a bad idea, that Liverpool wouldn't come like a storm in the second half or the last 30 minutes and eventually edge them out. Do you think Klopp maybe played for this scenario? He played Rodgers at his own game and ultimately Rodgers got got picked off. Uh, Yeah, to be honest, I was quite surprised with how strong Leicester went in comparison to Liverpool but then it is quite logical because Leicester don't really have any kind of reason to bench anyone considering you know they're coasting in the league at the moment they've kind of they're very plateaued I would say they're not really as impressive as they were last season obviously due to a crazy amount of injuries this year Um, but to be honest, in that first half, the Leicester absolutely dominated Liverpool, and I think it's probably just testament to the fact that Klopp went for such a weakened side. Um, but I think it's kind of pretty admirable the fact that they were able to come back, even still with you know only three or four of their starting eleven usually, um, in comparison to how Leicester actually lined up. But I just thought it was quite funny how you know they were three one down and obviously they ended up winning the match, but. Klopp after the game was quite like uh, emotional in terms of saying how much he enjoyed being at Liverpool and that kind of thing. And just before it went past our time, I was already thinking about what his reaction was going to be in terms of blaming COVID, in terms of blaming the pitch, blaming the weather. Because, you know, I think he's like the only manager who can't gracefully accept a defeat. So um, <laughs> he managed to save that for another day. Uh, but no, I think... In terms of his lineup as well, when you look at their next fixtures, Liverpool, when they've got uh, Leeds on Boxing Day, then they've got Leicester away, then they've got Chelsea away, then they've got Arsenal away in the um, League Cup semi-final, if that's obviously to go ahead, depending on the reschedule. So they have some big, big games coming up, which could be really pivotal in terms of their title hopes because at the moment Manchester City just look like a steam train and any any points dropped are going to be quite vital for uh, Liverpool going forward because I really don't see this City side actually dropping much so yeah I think obviously now and I think we've seen with Klopp how much he kind of rates the competition because he came out and said that he would be happy to just do one leg 
away at Arsenal, which, you know, any other manager would kind of be thinking, actually, no, I want to have the home advantage as well. But yeah, it just seems to me like he just wants to get this competition out of the way, whether he wins, whether he loses. Um, it's clear that he has, you know, the Champions League and the, the Premier League as the ones that are his priority and he doesn't want to gamble with any of his players in this competition I don't think which was kind of clear considering you know his back line was none of the starting 11 at all obviously apart from maybe Joe Gomez who comes in and out due to injury Uh, but yeah I feel like even if when they play Arsenal he probably will go with a team which is well, it will be with without you know Mo Salah and uh, Sadio Mane if the Afcon goes ahead. So I think he's already thinking ahead to that. To be honest, in terms of it's a good chance to rest his players again. Um, so yeah, we'll see with that. But it's a great opportunity to win silverware, nevertheless. Before we move on to the next game, Mali, I want to ask you about heroes in penalty shootouts. There's always a difficult one to gauge of what takes the biggest set of stones to be a goalkeeper to make a big save or to be a player to step up and, and take the winning penalty. The two big ones for Liverpool in the shootout were Quiven Kelleher with two saves and then obviously Diogo Jota steps up, bangs in the penalty and then runs straight over to absolutely give it to the Leicester fans in the in the Anfield Road end. So when you look at this situation, we've had so many penalty shootouts, obviously going back to the summer with England and, and Europe. 2020 there was loads of penalty shootouts and we've seen Liverpool in, in quite a few under Klopp and they do tend to have quite a good record who's who's the hero for you last night is it Kelleher making those saves or is it Jota standing there in front of the Leicester fans and just just banging it in uh, I think it's the the goalkeeper because um, I don't think there was a bad penalty in the shootout with the possible well with the exception of Minamino um, who thrashed his against the bar but I think with the the, the penalties he saved they were they weren't bad penalties. They were decent efforts, uh, and he's went and away to his left and saved both of them. Um, so the the sort of hero status is on him, I think. I think Jota maybe should have. I always sort of get a bit annoyed when uh, when they don't run towards the goalkeeper because it, if it wasn't for him, they'd have been out. Um, so when he ran over to the fans, I was like, "What about the goalie? Like this nineteen-year-old, twenty-year-old goalkeeper who's." Only ever gets, uh, only ever sees the light of day when the Carabao Cup comes around, um, and he actually looks pretty good every time he plays. He uh, he's 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 got you through that that shootout, not not you spacking in the sixth penalty because uh, two guys have, have previously missed. So yeah, it was. Uh, I think it's the the goalie. Um, he's, he's done he's done well every time he's been in the Carabao Cup. It's just a bit of a shame that he's got Allison in front of him and he's got no first team football coming his way anytime soon, really. Um, it'll be interesting to see if when we get to the semi-final stage and they get Arsenal or uh, if, if they get past them and they get to the final will Kelleher play or will he uh, will he revert back to Alisson because he doesn't care that much about the tournament we don't think but uh, when you get to the last four and you, you know, you're 180 minutes away from silverware do you revert to type and go for your strongest team because it's uh, that's, uh, that's where you got to Put your sort of money where your mouth is, and and uh, make a decision on who's got you to the final or who you can trust every week. Moving on to the other semi-final, obviously Arsenal through uh, on Tuesday night. They're going to face Liverpool. Klopp mentioned in his post-match last night that there is going to be a Premier League managers meeting this afternoon, which is going to look at the Christmas schedule to see if it is still going to go ahead as planned, and also look at the Carabao Cup semi-finals. As Marley mentioned there, there's a possibility that it gets switched to a single leg. So we'll try and keep you updated on that as best we can. Moving on to the other semi-final, Tottenham through against West Ham. They're going to take on Chelsea. So Joel, looking at Spurs and, and this 
game at home to West Ham last night. Pretty even in terms of chances, both sides of the break. Not a great deal of chances at either end, but Spurs were, were just clinical. Steven Bergwijn back in the team, got himself a goal. Lucas Moura, who's looked very, very good since Antonio's, um, since Antonio Conte's come into the club. He's looked like almost his old self, his Maurizio Pochettino self. And then for West Ham, Jared Bowen got a really nice goal to level it up. But ultimately, it was the missed chances that dominated for them. Thomas Suchek had two that he missed. Saeed Benrahma had a late one that he missed. And looking at West Ham before we look at Spurs, the issue for them is goals. They only scored one, which was the Bowen goal last night in the last four in all competitions. And... <clears throat> You do get the sense with them in the Premier League, in the Cup and in Europe that they do have good players that can step in and score sporadic goals if Mikel Antonio doesn't play or he doesn't feature because he's injured. But if he doesn't score the same goals on a regular basis, almost similar to Jamie Vardy with Leicester, West Ham are not going to sink. Leicester wouldn't sink without Vardy. But their objectives, what they're pushing for, they will fall short. And this does seem to be the case that if Antonio doesn't score or isn't in a bit of form, West Ham really struggle. Yeah, this is the issue with West Ham at the moment. They've only got one win in the last seven in all competitions. And during that time, I think uh, Mikel Antonio has not scored in over a month now. Um, and I pre I'm pretty sure there's some kind of association with the th their form as a team and him not scoring because obviously he's their top scorer. I think he's got seven or eight in the league this season. And prior to his goals drying up, he was scoring every other game or at least getting involved with an assist or being one of the man of the matches in most games. So this is the issue with West Ham at the moment and I think it's something that most people saw coming in terms of them tailing off at a certain point. Um, I think we're seeing it now, especially with you know a lot of injury concerns, um, a lot of COVID cases. Obviously, I think uh, Antonio missed out due to having COVID. So with this West Ham side... I think everyone got very excited a little bit too soon. I'm not saying that this is kind of the writing on the wall for them, but when you have a significant amount of injuries and sorry, a, a significant congested fixture list and the games are running in thick and obviously when you start to pick up bad form, you don't really have time to recover too much from it and you have to go into the next one and the next one. And their form kind of tells the picture of it seems as though they're kind of getting a little bit burnt out by the the, the the thick run of games and I thought this competition would have would have been one of their best opportunities to get a trophy this season just because you know prior to actually going into this game when they actually beat United to go through and obviously going through in Europe and being fourth in the league it just seems as though they've run out of steam a little bit and I think David Moyes will definitely need to dip into the market in January just to have some kind of reinforcement in terms of adding goals, which seems to have been a problem, especially in their last three games where they've not scored a single goal, um, which, uh, sorry, prior to this Tottenham game, they, they hadn't scored a single goal. And that's a, that's a big concern, especially when your main striker isn't actually chipping in with them as well. And he's got no one behind him who can actually do that, apart from probably uh, Jared Bowen, who obviously got the goal yesterday. Um, so yeah, I think it is a big concern for Moyes. I think obviously it's no cause for concern or alarm just because I think they're overachieving massively so far this season. They're still in Europe, they're still in the FA Cup, which hasn't started yet, and they're still in and around fourth in the Premier League. So there's still opportunity to you know regain their form, but right now it's kind of a bit like a domino effect where they just can't seem to get 
that one win they need to start kicking on again. Um, so yeah, and I, I think they were just beaten by the better side as well yesterday. I think Marley, when you look at the picture with Spurs, which Conte will be happy with, they're unbeaten in domestic action since he's come into the club through to the last four in the Carabao Cup. But the stats kind of tell the story of how he's trying to implement what he wants to do with Tottenham. We saw it against Liverpool at the weekend in the Premier League. And based on last night, they were second in all the key numbers, possession, XG, shots, shots on target, corners, attacking threat, but they won the game. And that's what he'll want from them. We saw this against Liverpool, maybe to to a greater degree. They don't mind having maybe slightly less possession and slightly less chances because of this confidence in the system that they can catch teams on the counter-attack. And when they do create chances with Mora, Bergvine or Kane and Son in, in the Premier League, they will start putting them away. That's what he wants to do. That's how he wants to build and put his mark on Tottenham. And based on the results and the direction they're moving in, it does seem to be working. Yeah, I think, you know, there's there's more than one way to, to skin a cat in, in football. You know, there's more... Um, the, you don't have to dominate possession and you know use the wing backs and everything that, we, that we're kind of used to with with Conte. There are different ways of playing football, um, and I think with with the way you, you were seeing Spurs in the last few weeks, they are giving up a bit of possession and saying, "Okay, well, you know, you have it, and when we get it back, we're going to give it to our front three. We've got one of the best finishers in the world in Kane." Um, when he's on his day, obviously not not so much this season, but over the past six or seven years, obviously his his record speaks for itself. Then you've got Son in there, you've got Bergvine and, and Lucas Moura as well, who are both playing really well, especially Lucas, as as you mentioned before. And uh, you know, he's that that's like that's really hard to deal with. Like if you're if you've got them three on you on your you know, counter attacking at you, you're thinking, you know, do we do we take more chances going forward? Because if, if we get pinned three on two against them, we're knackered. Um, and it will play into opposition's um, that, like mindset and that they'll be thinking, like, we can't throw too many forward because we've got, we've got to sort of half expect the uh, the counter-attack and things like that. So it's, um, it's, it's a genuine way of playing. Like, I mean, Klopp, Klopp hammered um, Spurs at the weekend for, for playing 5-3-2 and playing direct football. And that, that's exactly how you've got to deal with it. a team that presses and plays so high up the pitch. Like that's a genuine counter attack for it. It's a genuine uh, counter tactic to 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 combat what they bring to you, Liverpool. So that made no sense. But that's that's Conte. Like he's, he's he won't do what's what everybody expects and what everybody thinks. He, he's much uh, stronger than that, and he can say, you know, we're not going to play like that. We're going to play on the counter attack. Because our team isn't good enough to to have seventy five percent possession against everyone, uh, like a Man City or like a Liverpool, um, so we are going to sit back and, and hope for our uh, wait for our can- uh, chances on the counter attack, um, and when we do get those chances on the counter attack, we'll take them. We'll go one nil up or two nil up, and the game's over pretty much. Because then you have to score three times against a team that doesn't have to go and chase the game anymore. So, I think it's a it's a genuine. Um, route to success that he's that he's bringing Spurs at the minute and we'll see where it leads them in, in the long term because uh, there's problems on the horizon again still with Kane, uh, Kane's future and all the rest of it but we'll have to see what happens with that we don't know yet um, but from the way they're, they're approaching games now it's uh, it seems to suit them I think 
Uh, final uh, quarter-final game from last night, Joel, was Brentford against Chelsea. Chelsea leaving it very, very late to get themselves through to the last four. Big slice of luck with a Pontus Janssen own goal and then Jorginho hop-skipped and jumped to wrap it up in, in added time with a penalty, which is becoming a bit of a trademark for him in the last few weeks, knocking in that, that penalty that he does where we everyone looks and thinks, how on earth is he going to score this? This is very bizarre and he just tends to stick it in the back of the net. But... Maybe a little bit rough on Brentford in terms of balance of chances across the night. They they did go for it more in terms of their lineup and the chances they created and the threat that they carried. Chelsea relied on the second half cavalry and the changes they made. They brought on Reese James, Jorginho, and Golo Kante, Christian Pulisic, and and Mason Mount to maybe slowly turn the tide. But Brentford can definitely feel a little bit aggrieved with this because they created enough chances to win it, but ultimately they just got turned over. It's a shame for Brentford because I know that they're dealing with similar COVID issues to what Chelsea are dealing with at the moment. And in that first half, they very easily could have gone 2-0 up. They had um, two very good saves from Kepa, which denied them going um, going up quite early on in that match. But I think, I think as I said in the podcast yesterday, I think that um, Brentford were the side who probably had the more favourable draw out of any of the other sides, just purely because obviously when you look at the Chelsea team that actually started yesterday, they had two academy players up top in um, Sumsup Bell and Harvey Vale, who I don't think many people will have heard of prior to today, uh, prior to yesterday's game, um, alongside you know Javier Simmons and Malang Sarr. So it was a very second string side and it was only up until Tuchel brought on, you know, the cavalry of Jorginho Pulisic that you mentioned, pretty much majority of his first team. Then the tide started to shift a little bit for them. And I think that was probably what was needed because without them, I think Brentford may have got the upper hand in that game eventually. Uh, but it was a similar story, obviously, for Brentford. Um, Thomas ended up bringing on Ivan Tony after the 65th minute to kind of match uh, Chelsea's approach in the second half but yeah I think I think it was a big opportunity missed for Brentford it wasn't as if they got dominated on the night they had some really good chances um, and you know maybe they could have put the tie away after the first half but Chelsea just are showing what an advantage they have and that's the fact that they can bring on the likes of these players from the bench whereas you know Brentford probably have to dip into the academy to uh, give some rest to the plays that they started yesterday and that's that was the only difference yesterday really um, and obviously I think Thomas Tuchel has got his one eye on uh, the game on Boxing Day and obviously on the 29th so it's, it was a game that I think Tuchel would be really happy to go unscathed with just because it could have gone very differently um, and I don't think he was really invested in the game clearly at the start it was only until like I said he brought on the majority of his first team as to actually change the game a little bit and that's to you know Brentford's discredit and there's not much you can do with that when you've got to face that kind of quality coming off the bench but yeah they were very unlucky yesterday two managers that maybe arguably don't want to be in the semi-finals find themselves through to the last four proof that you don't always get what you want for Christmas but Jurgen Thomas you are in to the Carabao semi-finals Arsenal against Liverpool that's going to be at the start of January and Chelsea against Spurs that is the picture for the Carabao Cup semi-finals right here on the Football Social Daily we're going to grab a quick break 
After the break, we are looking at transfers. Barcelona closing in on a deal for Manchester City star Ferran Torres. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is on the naughty step at Arsenal and he could be shipped out in January. And the Newcastle revolution looks to kick start with a trio of England internationals linked with a move to Tyneside. We'll be back with all of that in just a second. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily podcast. It's Christmas Eve Eve, but as always here on the Football Social Daily, we are your daily source of all things Premier League. Right the way across the festive period, we are bringing you a daily Premier League podcast. If you hit subscribe on this episode, <clears throat> you can get access to a brand new show as soon as as it is ready. Right, let's get stuck into some transfer gossip because despite the fact that we've got an absolute stack of games to get through across the festive period, the transfer window is going to be opening on January 1st and we're expecting a fairly busy window uh, in terms of Premier League teams looking to strengthen. There's going to be incomings and there's going to be outgoings. So I've picked out some of the interesting stories doing the rounds uh, at the moment. Marley, going to go to you with the big story relating to Manchester City and that's Ferran Torres going to Barcelona. I'll be very honest with you, I don't understand the logic behind this deal from a Manchester City perspective. Barcelona, according to reports from the BBC, have agreed a deal in and around 55 million euros with an extra 10 euros tacked on as an add-on for performances and potentially a sell-on fee if Barcelona sell him in the future. I don't get this. Ferran Torres, for me has looked very good during his time at Manchester City. He's had, obviously, an injury this season, which has disrupted him, but 16 goals in 43 appearances. For someone that doesn't play as a central striker, for someone that can play across the front line, he's versatile, he's quick, he's skillful, he scores goals. And in the summer, when Man City didn't sign a striker, for me, he looked the most natural fit to say... I can play through the middle, maybe not as a nine, as a cane or someone like that, but I can play through the middle and be the best option as a link man for the players around me. I'll still get a good number of goals to make sure that we're not falling short. Obviously, the injury has played a role um, so far this season and kept him out of the team, but what is the logic here? He's been important for City. Pep Guardiola seems to like him. He seems to fit the system. But now they're happy for him to go. What's what's the logic here? Is Pep looking ahead to the summer and he's going to make a move for a more established nine, Kane again, potentially Erling Haaland? Or is this just there's too many cooks in that area of the pitch? You've got Mares, Bernardo Silva, Foden, Grealish, Sterling, and all of these players, there's too many to fit into two or three spaces. And Torres is the one that falls out. Uh, I, th- I think it's a bit of both of what you've just said. I think for me, I was a bit surprised this move has, has came um, really fast. You know, it doesn't seem to be uh, long since the rumour started and then we've got all the all the reporters that we trust when it comes to Man City things saying that this is done, this is done and dusted. We're just waiting for confirmation off the clubs, which will probably come in January. Um, you know, like, what's that, eight days away now? So you're looking at that and thinking... Uh, okay, Torres is Torres is off. Um, just when he was coming good in the in the Man City team, and people were saying, you know, can he be the centre forward in that in that team in sort of a a bit of a false nine, bit of a fluid role uh, type of type of uh, position. Um, yeah, he was he was great, but 
you're talking about a Spanish kid playing in England and Barcelona are coming knocking for him. Like I think that's a huge thing for the player. Um, everybody wants to be, uh, certainly every Spanish footballer wants to be part of this new Barcelona with with Xavi in charge and trying to get back to where they were and being the being the next superstar at, at Barcelona. When Messi's gone, they need someone else. Um, and I think Torres is is tempted by that um, that project and that challenge. Um, obviously, they took Aguero from from Man City six months ago, and that didn't work with his his heart condition forcing him to retire. But um, they're straight back in there and saying, right, who can we get that's going to be at the club for the next ten years potentially? And that is Ferran Torres. He does look um, as though he's starting to come good. But as you mentioned, Man City have got so many players in that. In his position, like the sort of wing position, um, they've got Mares, Sterling, Foden, Grealish, um, and for me, I think Grealish is the biggest one. Like Grealish, signing him in the summer um, was always going to put someone's nose out of joint. We just didn't know who. Thought it might be Sterling at first, and it turns out he's coming back into the team a little bit now. Um, so then you're looking at Ferran Torres and saying, well, his injuries came at a time where it's probably perfect for Barcelona because they can take him while no one's really looking at Torres and going, he's mint, never sell him. Like the, he, the People were saying that at the start of the season, then he got injured and people are kind of moving on without him now, with City still being so good without him. I think it's time, uh, Barcelona have timed this well. I uh, don't know where they're getting the money from, by the way, because I'm pretty sure they're a billion pound in debt, but stick, what? what? It's a Kla- it's a Klarna three plan payment. <laughs> I was going to say, what is 55 million when you're already a billion in debt? It's it's a drop in the ocean type, but it, it is what it is. You know, if they can afford him, 55 million to Man City, you know, they don't, we know we don't, they don't really need the money. However, if you give them 55 million now and say you can use that 55 million in the summer to go and get, you know, basically it halves the price of like Erling Haaland, doesn't it? So, if if Borussia Dortmund want one ten one twenty for for Haaland, then you can you've you've essentially just halved that fee by uh, getting the money for Ferran Torres, and if the the clause for Haaland that, that's rumored it's seventy five million before July this this year, then you've you've essentially paid twenty million for Erling Haaland and you've got yourself a a centre forward for the next seven or eight years because he's a freak and it's only a matter of time before he comes to the Premier League. And it's probably only a matter of time before he comes to Man City because I feel like that's the best uh, suit, best best match for him. Um, but we'll have to see what happens with that. But fifty five million is is a nice little buffer to uh, to take into the into the summer transfer window where you just put everyone to bed by signing one of the best strikers in the world and uh, coming off the back of what could be four Premier Leagues in the last five years and then you go and sign him. I mean, it's uh, it's over for everyone pretty much. You can tell it's Christmas by how casually Marley's talking about money. You know, fifty million here, a billion here. Who cares? You know, come on, it's Christmas. Just, just splash the cash, throw it all around. Um, looking at some of the other transfer stories, Joel, that are doing the rounds. Aubameyang at Arsenal. You know, obviously the situation regarding him as it stands. He's been stripped of the captaincy. Mikel Arteta has made a big statement regarding his future. He's not going to be captain of Arsenal whilst Mikel Arteta is still in charge. But the situation is, is still very tight, very tense. He's not been included in the matchday squad since he's been stripped of the captaincy. Arteta has not closed the door on his Arsenal future, but it looks to be edging towards a negative uh, conclusion for Aubameyang at Arsenal Football Club. And according to ESPN, there's interest from Serie A, Juventus and AC Milan are both watching him. But 
his wages are the sticking point. He's rumoured to be on a quarter of a million a week as it stands. They only want to go for a loan deal until the end of the season and then see where the picture is. I'll be honest, as an Arsenal fan, I think he's I think he's as good as gone. I don't think Arteta wants him in the team. I don't think he sees a place for him. But Arsenal do need to be very careful that they don't cut their nose off to spite their face in regards to this deal because he does still, maybe not to the same level of 18 months or two seasons ago, guarantee a level of goals that Arsenal just don't have in their squad as it stands. We look at Alexandre Lacazette or Eddie Nketiah, Martinelli, etc. They're, they're, they're exciting young players or in the example of Lacazette, a more experienced head that does pop up with goals. But Aubameyang offers a, a slightly safer guarantee I understand Arteta's frustration but Arsenal can't jump the gun here I mean when you look at Aubameyang's stats it's kind of it's a given now he's he's tailing off in his career I mean the last time he got over 20 goals was in that 2019 to 2020 season well, it's, it's pre-contract and post-contract yeah this is what I mean it, it was quite well do you know what it wasn't baffling that they gave him that contract because he just did back-to-back 22 goal seasons which you know that warrants any kind of contracts for any big player and it's not like he was over the hill he was I think 29-30 when he did that and that's the prime time for a striker um, it just seems like yeah post that contract it just seems as though his, his form his speed's gone down a little bit he doesn't look as clinical anymore um, he's not as involved in games and this is the kind of issue that they had with Meza Ozil in terms of they wanted him out of the club and he's clearly still got a lot to offer but when you're on wages that that high you're in a lose-lose situation especially if you need him out of your club as desperately as Mikel Arteta seems to be seems as though he's pretty much exonerated him from the side and that's it in terms of similar way in which he did with um, Ozil not so long ago so it's a, it's a difficult situation that because obviously when you have a player who is on the fringes isn't really welcoming the team anymore which is what it seems like it causes disruption amongst the club and amongst the team and it's needless to talk and speculation constantly which probably furthers Arsenal's need to actually want him out of the club which is quite it's quite sad, it's quite sad to be honest considering the fact that the story behind it from from what we know is that obviously he went back to I don't know if it was France to see his mother who was ill and it kind of broke Covid protocols because he got back a little bit late. I mean, like, where's the morality in that? I don't know if there's more details to it than meets the eye, but from what we're told, it seems a little bit harsh in my opinion. And it's like I mentioned on a podcast uh, previously. I think Mikel Arteta's got a very controlling kind of persona as a manager who um, kind of wants to make examples of players a little bit to try and set standards but I think it's the wrong way to do it considering just how much Aubameyang has given that Arsenal team in the last four years but you know you, you can only go off the form and right now Aubameyang doesn't really get into that side at the moment considering just how well they're all playing and the scoring without him um, and he's meant to be their club captain as well so I think with this situation the writing's definitely on the wall uh, but it's not such an easy conclusion to actually go about because they can't exactly, unless they do a similar situation to what they did with Ozil, which is pay him out of an absolutely huge multi-million pound contract. And that's not going to be good for Arsenal's um, summer coming up if if you know if that impacts their transfer budget because it's a huge contract that and he's still got a good two two and a half years left on it which means it's going to be a significant payout and I don't think many clubs are going to want to 
uh, take a gamble on on that unless he takes a huge pay cut, which you know is well within his rights not to do. So yeah, it's it's a difficult situation that, but I'm sure they'll come to a quick conclusion on it because like I said it just causes disruption. Third and final transfer story involves the Newcastle revolution Marley we all expect and wait very patiently for when the window swings open to see what what Newcastle are going to do but Mbappe, Haaland and Messi might have to wait a little bit of a while because Eddie Howe needs to get Newcastle out of the drop zone before he can start attracting them so some of the moves in January might be a bit more sensible a bit more straightforward there's been talk of Deli Ali. there's obviously been James Tarkowski who's been linked for, for some time but an interesting one that's come through this morning from teamtalk.com is Kieran Trippier. Trippier has pretty much made it clear that he wants to come back to England. There's talk of United being interested in him. Doubts over Aaron, Aaron Wan-Bissaka and his long-term future at Old Trafford. Tottenham are also potentially interested in bringing him back. Matt Doherty could be on his way out of the club based on his form in the last few months. But Newcastle are keen to rival them, according to this report. 25, 30 million probably will get a deal done if they can push United and Spurs all the way. Obviously, the Mbappe-Messi stuff is, is a bit of a joke, but someone like Kieran Trippier, when you look at what Newcastle will want to do and will need to do in the immediate future, someone like Kieran Trippier could be a really good building block. Yeah, I think it's... Uh, you know, a lot of rumours have been flying around Newcastle recently, and uh, I should make it clear to to uh, regular listeners of the podcast that one of my conditions for coming on the podcast is not that we have to talk about Newcastle every day. Um <laughs> But we, uh, you know, this this does seem a, a good starting point for our business. Um, you know, we can't sign anybody at the minute because we're not in the position to. We're, we're, well, for want of a better word, we're. Um, so at the minute, we need to we need to pick our battles and pick our players. Um, and this makes sense. I think Trippier has done his stint in in Spain. He's won he's won La Liga. He's been to. Um, big finals. He's been in big games. He's been in, you know, uh, the Madrid derby and things like that. But English players, when they go abroad, they never, they never, they never stay there to the end of their career. They always come back, um, and it's about providing a a challenge for him when he comes back. I think he's he's a northern lad, um, so there's not this weird like obsession with London that that uh, many players have. Um, I think he's. He's, I think he started off at Man United, didn't he? Coming through the, uh, oh sorry, the Man City Academy, um, and not quite making it, and ended up uh, finding finding his way to Burnley. Yeah, so you know it, he's not adverse to playing in cold conditions, and he's a proper experienced player. You know, he'll, he'll bring a lot to the Newcastle squad if he comes in, and and this deal does get done. Um, we can pay him the wages. You know, we, we know that. Um, we've got a clear project and a manager. Who, uh, who I think he's worked under. I think Trippier, Eddie Howe signed Trippier at Burnley uh, when he was there. So there's a there's a previous relationship um, there. So they know each other. They know how they each other work. Um, and Trippier has gone on to become the finished article because I think um, when Howe signed Trippier, he was only 20, 21, coming out of the Man City Academy. So you're looking at that and thinking if that partnership uh, links up again then that that can only be good for Newcastle because we've needed we've needed a right back we've I mean at one point last season we had three right backs and they were all all crap I think Yedlin Mankio and, and Emil Kraft were if you put the three of them together you might have a decent uh, uh, a decent player but like Kraft could defend and not attack Mankio could attack and not defend and Emil um, and DeAndre Yedlin just had speed and that was it and nothing else to his game. So it was kind of like we needed to 
make the three of them have a child and uh, and, and produce them into a decent right back. But we obviously that is that's quite that, disturbing, Marley. <laughs> that's a, that takes time. Yeah, we, we haven't got twenty years to uh, to wait. Uh, so signing one, signing one of the England many England right backs that are that are out there. You know that makes more sense. So if we can get this deal done, I think it's a really good starting point for the uh, the January window, which needs to be uh, busy for for Newcastle. Yeah, I think I'm going to put a disclaimer on Marley's uh, comments. Kids, if you're listening, Christmas is not the time for ex- uh, terrifying experimentation to build fullbacks. It's not. It's not healthy, kids. Just don't do it. But if Newcastle get themselves a trip here under the tree this Christmas, Marley will be delighted. Right, guys, we're going to call it there for today's edition of the Football Social Daily. Marley, Joel, Merry Christmas. This is my last show before Christmas. Hope you have a great break and a great Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas, mate. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just hoping uh, Santa brings me three points for Newcastle, to be honest. Um, but failing that, I'll just eat my eat my body weight in turkey and uh, pigs in blankets and be ready to go for the new year. And a carabao in a pear tree. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah which, which day of Christmas is the carabaos? <laughs> Seven carabaos are calling. <laughs> That's a new Christmas song for another day. Indeed, indeed. May the carabaos be flowing right the way across Christmas. Right, that's it for the Football Social Daily today. As always, if you hit subscribe, you can get access to the brand new episode as soon as it is ready. Right the way across Christmas, we are here. The FSD Christmas Elves Ants will be here on Boxing Day with a review show. And then between Christmas and New Year, providing the Premier League is still in action, myself, Marley, Joel, Niall will all be here doing preview and review shows. So there's plenty to get stuck into if you're sick of Turkey, if you're sick of Carabao, if you're sick of Brussels sprouts, whatever you are, we will be here right the way across Christmas. So don't forget to check us out. As always, Merry Christmas. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll speak to you again very, very soon. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.